right, so we're going to Psalm 62. We'll start with our summary statement. Psalm 62 expresses trust in God while waiting for His salvation. So I'll go over that again. Psalm 62 expresses trust in God while waiting for His salvation. Outline will be in two parts, verses 1 to 8, confidence in God. Verses 9 to 12, instruction to trust in God. So let me go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 8, confidence in God. Verses 9 to 12, instruction to trust in God. All right, so we're going to move to our observation. So Psalm 62 was written by David, and we can see that in the superscription, to the chief musician, to Geruthin, a psalm of David. So the superscription does ascribe this to David. It's also directed to the chief musician or the choir master, very common. Um, this Yeruthin is um, also mentioned in the heading of Psalm 39, he was a Levite who was over one of the groups of Levite singers for the tab tabernacle at Gibeon. Um, he's mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 16. Um, seems that he was also over various musical instruments for the accompaniment of the singing. Now, there's no occasion that is given in the heading of the psalm or in the text of the psalm. The crisis of the psalm seems to be betrayal or, or treachery. Um, could be um, that it goes along with uh, the time of Absalom's rebellion, um, but there's no, no real way to know for certain about that. Psalm 62 has some lament elements to it. So you have a crisis complaint in the psalm. You have expressions of confidence in this psalm. But you don't have things like direct address prayer to God or a petition for help. Like there's no request here for any sort of deliverance or what have you. And there's also no commitment to praise for when that um, deliverance has come. So those are the typical conventions of a lament. So it has some lament elements, but doesn't really fit there. Mostly, I would categorize this psalm as a wisdom psalm. And we have a section, verses 8 to 12, that are a section of wisdom instruction. So um, in that part of it, David is, is essentially speaking to others, and he's, he's teaching others. We have repetition of the word vanity in verse number 9. And vanity is obviously a key thematic word in the book of Ecclesiastes, appearing over 30 times in that book. We also have another um, wisdom scheme where you have a contrast in this psalm between silence and false speech. So David twice refers to being silent, uh, essentially keeping still 
And then he refers to the mouths and to the lies and to the um, false speech of his enemies uh, there in verse number four. Psalm 62 connects with the preceding David Psalm group. So we're still in this David Psalm group in book two of the Psalms. So that's Psalm 52 through uh, Psalm 61 to this point. And the general connections that it has with this group, we see um, betrayal or treachery, uh, which that has been common. We see false witness. We see also an enemy adversary. Um, And we also see judgment, but not just judgment, judgment that is accompanied with a strong emphasis on refuge. And there's a very strong emphasis on refuge in this particular Psalm. So that that are, those are things that would connect it with this general group, showing um, it to be a part of that. But also it has special connections with Psalm 61, the Psalm that immediately precedes it, um, like the term rock, speaking of God as a rock here in uh, verse 2 in Psalm 61 and verse 2, uh, the term hesed, um, um, loving kindness or it's translated um, different ways, mercy sometimes. Um, that's in Psalm 61 as well as in Psalm 62. But this psalm also has numerous connections with Psalm number 39. Now, Psalm 39 is also a psalm of David. But we see the the, the terms and the imagery that is used. So in Psalm 62, we have a repetition of the same word that's translated three different ways, truly, only, and surely. And that, that word occurs six times in Psalm 62, and it occurs three times in Psalm 39, Psalm 39, verses 5, 6, and 11. We have the repetition of vanity here in verse number 9, and it's also a repetition in Psalm 39, verses 5, 6, and 11 there. We have... Um, the mention of silence, waiting in silence. So verses 1 and 5 here, as well as in Psalm 39 and verse number 2. We have mention of the sons of Adam, the Bene Adam, uh, here in verse number 9, as well as in Psalm 39, verses 5 and 11. What is also somewhat unusual, not only do we have sons of Adam, but we also have sons of man. So we have the Bene Ish, um, the sons of man, that are mentioned here in verse number 9 as well as in Psalm 39, verses 6 and 11. That's a very unusual um, grouping that connects these two psalms together. The superscriptions of both psalms are nearly identical. Um, Psalm 39 also has some lament elements, although it is it has more lament elements than Psalm 62 does. But Psalm 39 also has uh, a number of wisdom elements. So in Psalm 39, you have a contrast of silence and sinful speech, you have the repetition of vanity, and you also have the fleeting nature of life, which comes out in this psalm as well. So obviously there's a lot of interconnectedness between Psalm 62 and Psalm number 39. So the poetic features of Psalm 62, the psalm does use some imagery. So you have reference to um, a bowing wall and a tottering fence, and we've probably got a little bit of a live illustration of some tottering framing out here if you want to go and and test some of that out but a tot you know a tottering fence or a bowing wall something that is 
you know, barely standing. It's obviously not going to withstand a lot of pressure. That's an imagery there. God is refuge, uses some different terms, rock, defense, or refuge um, in that imagery. This psalm has a lot of repetition. And just sort of picking out some of the, the most uh, prominent ones, um, the term son uh, appears twice. Vene um, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's not... The sun is not translated as sun here, but it is there in the, in the Hebrew text. Um, vanity, uh, repeated twice in verse 9. Salvation, referred to three times, verse 1, 2, and 6. Um, the mention of lies in, lies in verse 4 and 9. Um, man in uh, verses 3, 9, and 12. That's uh, ish, not, not the Adam. Um, you have the repetition of truly, only, or surely. We talked about it a little earlier on. That's six times. We have the repetition of rock in uh, verses 2, 6, and 7. So that's three times in the psalm. And you also have another larger scale repetition where you have verses 1 and 2 and then verses 5 and 6 forming um, something of a refrain that is repeated. And, and verses 1 and 2 are nearly identical to verses 5 and 6. They're not exactly, but they are very close. Um, another poetic uh, feature that we have in this psalm is the use of apostrophe. Um, apostrophe, David is addressing enemies as though they are present. So we see that in verses three and four. He's, he's speaking direct address to enemies like as if they were there and he was talking to them. Um, but of course they're not. All right. So we want to work our way through this Psalm, um, 12 verses and I'll go ahead and read it. Truly my soul waiteth upon God from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. So the psalm opens in verses 1 and 2 with an expression of confidence um, the word for truly there is the one that's repeated six times. It's translated three different ways in the psalm, but it's it's obviously forms a it forms a point of emphasis. Um, the word for wait, when he says, "My soul waiteth upon God." The word for wait actually indicates the patient, silent waiting, and so that is this word is repeated uh, again, and so we we get this concept of that David is being silent other than obviously what it is that he's, he's speaking to God. Um, salvation, uh, which refers to that 
to that full salvation, that full deliverance, and it's repeated three times again in the psalm. And saying that it comes from God means that God is the source, um, that, that salvation, true salvation belongs to God, um, like in Psalm 3 and verse number 8. The rock that he speaks of is the word that refers to a high place, so it's like a high cliff or could be the top of a high boulder. Um, it's something that is up and out of danger. And we've seen this word uh, a number of times, but it's used in Psalm 19, 2 and verse 31 there. It's also used in Psalm 27, 5, as well as, as in the previous Psalm, Psalm 61 and verse number 2. Now, the defense that he mentions is the word for refuge. And this word also has the idea of a high place. And so these are, these are terms that that speak of protection and safety and security. It's, it's used numerously throughout the Psalms. So uh, Psalm 9 and verse 9, Psalm 18 and verse 2. More recently, Psalm 46, verses 7 and 11, and Psalm 48 and verse 3. Psalm 59, three times there, verses 9, 16, and 17. Now, to, to, to be moved means to be shaken or to slip or even to fall. And saying that he shall not be greatly moved, he's expressing the security of those who trust in God as a refuge. And that um, has been mentioned as well, Psalm 46, 5, Psalm 55, verse number 22. Some of the more recent Psalms, we've seen that I shall not be moved. Um, verses 3 to 4, then, is where we get David's address to the enemy. So he's speaking as if they are present and asking how long? And we've seen um, that question a, a number of different times. So it indicates that that there's that it's been um, going on. It's been ongoing. It's been a long time um, that this has been happening. And he uses this word for mischief. I think this is the only appearance of it in the Psalms. Uh, it's a word that that indicates violence. Um, and it's it's even possible that that it, it could include even up to murder, the taking of of someone's life. They imagine mischief. Um, this is this is their um, this is their uh, imagining. You, you shall or this is what David says against it. You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. There in verse number three. So the word. The word for slain, to be killed, which obviously is, is a word that is pointing to the judgment that's going to come on them. And the imagery is used here to show or express their vulnerability. In other words, in terms of, of God's judgment, they're like a bowed wall. They're like this tottering, rickety fence that could just be easily knocked over. So, so they're vulnerable, and they're not going to be able to stand um, against the judgment that comes against them. And their, their counsels, he speaks of, that they only consult um, to cast him down from his excellency. So all their counsels and their plans are to bring down the dignity or the honor of one. And this is speaking of the king in high position, this word translated excellency here. So in other words, their opposition is against the king. Their um, counsels and and their mischief is is all worked against him. How to bring him down um, from his exalted position? He says that they are pleased 
with lies. It, um, they delight in it. Um, and also they practice a deceptive treachery. Notice he says they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And so these are the, these are the terms of those being traitorous. Um, they speak pleasant sounding words um, to the face, um, but inwardly they are cursing and obviously plotting um, for the overthrow and downfall. We get our first Selah there. There's two of them actually in the text at verse 4 and at verse 8. Um, in verses 5 to 7, now we get um, David doing a somewhat rare self-address where he's now speaking to himself. So in verses 5 and 6, they're almost identical to verses 1 and 2. There are some uh, minor differences, but they're almost identical. So he directs his self-address uh, uses this word weight, which is also related to the one used earlier. Uh, again, the idea of silently and patiently waiting. Now, the word for expectation is a word that's oftentimes translated as hope. Um, it means a grounded assurance and an expectation. In other words, there's, there's reason. There's something that is being looked forward to. Um, most likely within this psalm, within this context, David is... Um, that expectation that he's referring to would be the promises of the Davidic covenant um, that come to him, Second uh, Samuel chapter seven and, and verse sixteen. He also speaks of God being salvation and glory and rock and strength and refuge. So there's an, there's a repetition here of a number of these terms, um, saying that God is my salvation or in God is my salvation is again an expression of God as being the source and also as God alone being the salvation. In other words, there's, there's no other salvation. Salvation is only in God, only comes from him. But David also says here in verse 7 that God is his glory, and that is the Hebrew term kavod. And we have talked about that a number of times in the Psalms. Uh, kavod is oftentimes associated with kingship. It's, it's a word that that means weight or or presence. It 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 is oftentimes associated with the king, and we've seen that, for instance, like in Psalm three and verse three, Psalm four and verse two, Psalm seven and verse five, Psalm eight and verse five, uh, Psalm sixteen and verse nine, Psalm twenty four verses seven to ten, and then more recently Psalm fifty seven and verse number eight. So he again in saying that in God is his salvation and his glory, speaking of as being the source, as this comes from him. Um, and obviously the mention of glory um, complements and pairs well with the word that's translated um, excellency up in verse number four, speaking of high position. So again, pointing toward the kingship. Um, so in verses eight to 11, now we get some wisdom instruction. Um, the word for trust that begins verse eight is a word that means to take refuge in. Um, it's a word that is oftentimes associated with a covenantal relationship. Um, we've seen it used in Psalm 4 and verse 5 and Psalm 9 and verse 10, Psalm 13 and verse 5, and then on and on and on and on. This word is continuously repeated throughout the Psalms. Saying at all times um, means both in, um, in uh, longevity or endurance or perseverance, in other words, continually, ongoing. But it also means in all conditions. 
So trusting in God, taking refuge in God in all times, then is going to mean continually, and it's also going to mean um, whether in prosperity or adversity or whatever that the case may be. So the the instruction of pouring out your heart um, obviously refers to prayer. Um, it's an indication of what the trusting in God at all times um, ev- is evidenced as it, as it brings forth the fruit of it will be that prayer. Now, the word for refuge used there uh, is a word that is uh, that means shelter, um, referring to that protection, but it's also um, connected to the terms used in talking about being under the wings. Um, so Psalm 17, verses 7 to 8, Psalm 36 and verse 7, more recently Psalm 52 and verse 1, but also in Psalm 61 and verse number 4. So it is a related term. The first, um, we have men of low degree and men of high degree. All right, now those are the, the translations um, of the phrase sons of Adam first. That's the men of, of um, low degree, the men of high degree, the sons of man, um, the Beni Adam and the Beni Ish. Uh, there. So the word for vanity that he uses, now that is again, that is the word that is so often repeated in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the word for vanity, it means empty or a vapor. It, it could um, can refer to breath. And so what he says here in verse 9 is that from, from low to high degree, in other words, all men, He's saying, are, are weighed and found lighter than breath. So they're put in a balance with vanity, with emptiness, with nothingness, with, with a breath of air. And they're weighed and they're found to be lighter than this breath of air. In other words, they have no substance. They have no stability. And ultimately, they will not stand um, before God in judgment. Um, verse 10, we have uh, a reference to oppression, to robbery, and the increase of riches. And he says that these things are not to be trusted. In other words, this again, the word for refuge. Don't take refuge in these things. So it's, it's obviously an alternative to taking refuge in God. Now, we've seen this appear a few times when David is talking about his enemies or he's talking about the wicked they are those who, rather than taking refuge in God, are taking refuge in wealth. Um, some other type, other places, they might be taking refuge in idols. They might be taking refuge in military strength. Um, but we see the reference to riches in Psalm 39 and verse 6, as well as Psalm 52 and, and verse 7. Now, this verse 11, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. This is sort of a ascending number, and it's it's a it's a rhetorical device. It's oftentimes used in wisdom literature. A couple of examples: Proverbs chapter six and verse sixteen, as well as in Proverbs chapter thirty, um, verse eleven, down to the end of that chapter, in verse number thirty-three, where you have those kind of lists. You know, three things: yea, four, and 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 that sort of way. And and it's it's a way of it's a way of ex, of expressing. Um, completion. It's a way of expressing um, surety. Um, that's that sort of thing. So you have this expression here applied to God and power belonging unto Him. So power um, is a word for strength. 
And so strength or might belongs to God alone. So again, it's his exclusive possession. Um, he, he is unsurpassed in his strength or in his might. We've seen similar uh, statements, Psalm 59 and verse 9 and 16, Psalm 61 and verse number 3. So he is the source of strength, but not only that, he also gives strength to those who trust in him, and that's mentioned in Psalm 29 in verses 1 and 11 there in that psalm. Now, the ending of this psalm is a direct address to God. It's, it's not a petition, um, but it is a direct address to God. God has is, is been mentioned as the source of salvation, the source of glory, and the source of strength. And so here in, in verse number 12, God's also the source of mercy, and that's the Hebrew term hesed, and that is his, um, his unfailing love, sometimes translated loving kindness, sometimes translated mercy, sometimes translated steadfast love. Um, it is a word that is oftentimes associated with God's covenant faithfulness, that, that God has um, covenanted um, to show mercy and to show love and to deliver those that trust in him. And so it is, there's, there's a sureness to that because God has covenanted himself to do this, and so it will come about. So we've seen it used several times in these David Psalms, Psalm 51, 1, Psalm 52, verses 1 and 8, Psalm 57, verses 3 and 10, Psalm 59, verses 10, 16 and 17, and in the previous Psalm, Psalm 61, and verse number 7. So God, ultimately, the last statement of this Psalm shows that God will perform judgment in equity. He will render to every man according to that man's work. Um, so men will be rewarded according to their works. Now, that is a very familiar phrase, and it, it echoes from the books of the law. So in a place like Deuteronomy chapter 28, we get this idea. Um, this is a word that is echoed in the wisdom writing. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14 would be very similar. It's echoed in the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10 and chapter 32 and verse 19, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 20. And then also we hear it repeated um, in the New Testament. So uh, Romans 2, 6, when Paul is talking about um, the judgment of God that's revealed against all wickedness and that the Jews are just as liable for their sin as the Gentiles are, um, Paul quotes from this verse. 1 Corinthians 3.8, Ephesians 6.8, 2 Timothy 4.14. And we also, get, we also get this phrase or this saying referred to uh, Romans, I mean Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 12. So the last chapter of the Bible as well. All right, so interpretation. Psalm 62 teaches the futility of opposing God and trusting in lies, thefts, and increasing wealth for refuge. So there are a lot of things, as we mentioned a little earlier, that, that men may trust in, idols, um, false religion, um, their own 
supposed good works. And there's a lot of things that men may trust in. In this particular psalm, um, David is is dealing with these issues, the lies and the thefts, the oppressions, um, the increasing wealth. And so trusting in those things for refuge is ultimately a folly that leaves one vulnerable like that tottering fence or bowed wall, um, lighter than air even. So you have the three different um, comparisons. So it exposes one to receiving a full and equal reward for all of your sinful works. And that would be taking refuge in material things. So Psalm 62 also teaches the need for patient waiting on the Lord. Um, And we've seen that in a number of Psalms. Sometimes we've drawn attention to it, sometimes I haven't. But the need for patient waiting. So David twice here refers to waiting silently. So this would mean that he's he's waiting. He's obviously in some adversity. He's looking for a deliverance to come that hasn't yet come. And waiting silently would then indicate that he's he's waiting on the Lord without foolishly complaining, foolishly murmuring against God, foolishly charging God in some sinful way. So obviously David is facing adversity, but he says he's going to wait silently, but he's not going to be moved. And the word there means to be shaken. um, And he's saying he's not going to be shaken so as to completely and utterly fall. So in in other words, he's not trying to say that this adversity is not going to hurt him uh, or not going to harm him in some way, may even take his life. He doesn't know that. But but he do, what he does know is that he's not going to ultimately fall. He's not going to completely fall, um, no matter what success that they may have. It's sort of like um, when Jesus talked about not fearing those that can kill the body, and after that they have nothing they can do to you. Um, fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. So David will not be moved, and he's waiting patiently. All right, so the messianic messianic hope of Psalm 63 is seen in the way that David prefigures the anointed king to come. All right, so David writes this psalm as the anointed king who is the righteous sufferer. We've seen that Um, in a number of these psalms recently. So David is the righteous sufferer. He mentions the high position in verse number four, the excellency, and he mentions the glory, the kavod, in verse number seven, that is his from from God. So this high position, this, this kavod, obviously clue us in that this crisis is about the kingship. In other words, these these, um, treacherous, betrayers that David is referring to in this psalm, they're they're trying to bring him off the throne. And he is God's anointed king to sit on that throne. So the king's salvation in verses 1, 2, 6, and 7, his security in verses 2 and 6, and his glory in verse number 7 all depend on God as their source and protector. So David prefigures the Messiah, the the Messiah King, in his experience of treachery. 
So David mentions being silent in the face of his persecutors. And the Messiah also was silent before his persecution and rather trusting in God. So David mentions this. This comes out verses 1, 2, 5, and 7, and 5 to 7 in particular. And the Messiah was prophesied that he would suffer unjustly and that he would do so in silence. So two primary prophecies. One will be in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. And that's all about the servant of Yahweh um, who's, who's not going to you know, lift his voice in the streets. He's not going to um, quench the, the smoking flax and, and all of that. And then in Isaiah 53 and verse number 7, uh, when he was as a sheep before his shears, he was dumb. He didn't open his mouth. His suffering in silence was prophesied beforehand, and it was fulfilled in Jesus. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 20, which speaks specifically of the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. Um, Acts chapter 8, verses 32 to 35. First um, Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, which again point to the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. All right, applications. I have two of these, just ways that Psalm 62 speak to us today as modern readers. Number one, understanding Psalm 62 helps us understand that life is not about the pursuit and the accumulation of earthly things. So we see these words in verses 9 and 10, which are words that could very well appear um, in the book of Proverbs or in the book of Ecclesiastes or, or other similar type warnings about making those things our refuge, whether it's um, possessions, whether it's resources, whether it's money, whether it's whether it's strength, whether it's um, youth and, and beauty, and, and there's just all sorts of earthly things. So understanding this psalm helps us understand that, that those things, they are no secure refuge, um, either from the real dangers of life or from the judgment of God when he renders to every man according to his works. So those things cannot and will not save, and putting our trust in them means ultimately being lost. Number two, understanding Psalm 62 also helps us understand how to be like Christ in patient suffering. And that exactly is Peter's point in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Christ has left us a calling, and he has also left us an example who Peter says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And what did he say that he did rather? Well, he committed his, his, uh, he committed his keeping, his soul, into the hands of his father, into the hands of the judge of all the earth. So in other words, he waited silently and trusted in God. Again, the very, um, the very image we see in the prefigurement here in Psalm 62. So it does help us understand how to suffer like Christ, how to be patient, how to follow his example in um, all of those things. <laughs>